of the Spirit this week. So we're not just going to be looking at the list of the fruit of the Spirit and looking at what it is, but uh, because the fruit of the Spirit is much larger than what's listed in Galatians 5. It has uh, a lot more implications. It has uh, a bigger impact in our life. So we're going to be discussing that work of the Spirit in our lives this week in terms of the fruit that he produces in our life together. Now, this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, and finishing Acts chapter 7 in this episode, these, uh, these verses, Anaya, do you mind getting me a cup of water? I forgot my drink again. Uh, as we uh, come here and we finish these last verses, so we're going to read from verse 54 through the end of the chapter. In fact, we might go through to chapter 8, verse 1, I think, this morning. Uh, and read through there it brings us to the close of one of the most important moments in in history uh, and in church history uh, one we see the first martyr for christ and that's uh, you know, stephen but this martyr this life that comes to an end with stephen uh, spreads the gospel through the world thank you anaya So this is the spark which spreads the gospel through the world. It also has a number of very important implications that follow on. Not just does the gospel spread through the world as a result of this, and that's what we'll see next week as we get in and see a little bit more of what happens following this. Chapter 8 begins by showing us the spread of the gospel, but it also is the event which, at least in part, which Luke brings out particularly to show us that this is one of the major events that marks the life of a man named Saul, a man who would turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And in doing this, so in standing here and in becoming the first martyr and, and living like this and dying like this, he gives us an example of what it is to live for Christ, even when things are difficult, no matter how long or how short that life may be. Let's read our, our passage here this morning. Acts chapter 7 verse 54 is where we're going to start. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now Saul was consenting to his death at that time. A great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Let's have a word of prayer and ask God's blessing on his word. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to this momentous event, this wonderful example of faith, 
we pray, dear God, that it would stir us. It would encourage our hearts to boldness in our faith for you. That it would stand as a shining testimony of what we can be as we live for you in this world. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, here we have the first Christian martyr, Stephen. The um, accurate accounts of, of martyrs through the century are kind of hard to come by. Um, I mean, we have a lot of books and a lot of records and things of, of martyrs and things that happened, but the, the accuracy of them is a little bit dubious in some. I mean, we know some, some of the more major and the more popular people who have died through the, the years, we know those, but a lot of the surrounding ones, we just, they're a little bit fanciful. Not all of the details are, are, are accurate. Even the death of the apostles is clouded in mystery a little bit. We don't know exactly how they all died. And even some of them, it's still a little bit of tradition over reality. Um, a lot of the things we have passed down about, about the martyrs were kind of recorded by the same people who wrote books that told us about the, the fanciful things of Jesus as a boy and, and uh, the fanciful gospels. So there was a lot of exaggeration put into them and things like that. So it's with the exception of, of Stephen and a few through history, it's hard to say just how so many of the martyrs died and the faith that they showed. But one thing we do know for certain, okay, we may not know all of the details and, and some of them be a little bit sketchy, but one thing we do know for certain about the early Christians and those who were even martyred is they had a very, very strong desire to avoid denying the name of Jesus at any cost. Not all of them would do that. Some of them would recant and some of them would suffer and, and find great fear and trial in those things, but not everyone could stand fast through those torches. But what is absolutely sure is even the ones who found suffering and trial difficult, the desire of every last one in the early church was that Christ be glorified in their life and in their death. Stephen's example is what we all long to be. And I imagine as many of the martyrs through history stood or, or prepared for their death in their mind, they had the courage and strength of, of Stephen in their minds, as well as some of the others they had seen. So as we come to these last few verses of Stephen's life, this is one of the most glorious, one of the most precious, and one of the most encouraging passages in all of Scripture. And there are a lot of those, but this is a, a particularly important and precious one. It also challenges us to live for Christ above all, in all circumstances. We've seen Stephen's life for Christ. He has shown his love for Christ and his, his faith and his exemplary character and the way he has served the church and, and witnessed to people and, and, and gone out and done God's work. We've seen his, his boldness in proclaiming Christ. Even in this, this sermon that we have gone through in the last, last week, we've seen him preaching in the synagogue. Now we see his truly glorious departure. As we've looked over these events of Stephen's life in Acts chapter 6 and 7, we've talked about a number of things. And so this morning we bring this to a conclusion in this. We see in Stephen an unshakable faith in an uncontainable God 
that gives an unquenchable life. That's a phrase I put together that we've used as our titles throughout this thing that we, that we see in him, an unshakable faith in an uncontainable God that gives an unquenchable life. And that's what we look at this morning, this unquenchable life. If you want a life that is worth living, if you want to live this life and have passion for this life and, and live it, which is with a, a legacy to leave on and something that is worth living, if you want a life that is worth living, you need something that is worth dying for, that you're willing to give your life for. Stephen encourages us that the God of glory is worth living for and dying for. I've got two thoughts this morning, and it goes like this. Live for Jesus, and you will live with Jesus. I'm going to see these thoughts as we look through uh, the example of Stephen's death. Let's start here with this idea of live for Jesus. In Stephen, we see a man who is faithful to the end. He is faithful to the end. He shows us a faithful witness. He is a faithful witness. As we have seen, he's preached his sermon. And in that sermon, he's, he's turned the tables on them. And shown them that he's right. Jesus is the one they should be looking for. And they, they should have known him, but they didn't know him. And now they are so angry. The opposition to them is, is fierce. Like they are wild with rage here as they listen to Stephen and then see his last words. They are so angry with him because he has spoken boldly to them. He hasn't held anything back. He's been bold about who Christ is and what Christ has done. And in doing that, he has exposed their sin. They've had to confront the sin and the pride and the hypocrisy in their lives. And in, in following that and showing them the sin and speaking boldly, he has shown them that the one they rejected, Jesus, is the Savior. And that gets them angry and their, their opposition to him is, is fierce. And instead of listening to Stephen, as he asked in the beginning, he says, hear me. Instead of listening to him, they hardened their hearts, just like their ancestors did, just like he said that they had done. It shows, as we look here, it shows the, the devastating effects of rejecting Jesus. Just look at their, their hissy fit that they, they have here. Verse 46 it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. This is their, their, you know, they're spitting and they're yelling and they're angry and they're, they're baring their teeth at him. They're just angry. It says, but he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand. He said, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand. And when they hear him say that, it says, then they cried aloud out with a loud voice stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. Do you see it? That like a toddler, they've covered their ears, don't want to hear it, and they just start yelling and then run at him. This is, this is what rejecting Jesus has done. It's the, 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 the devastating impact that rejecting Jesus has on someone. It has brought them down to the most base of who we can be. When we reject Christ, we sink to the most pitiable places you're like the jews people say when we witness to them i won't listen to you i just won't listen to you but we've all probably had people they might as well stick their fingers in their ears because they just refuse to listen i will not listen to what you have to say 
They talk over us. They will choose to believe anything, anything else but Jesus. Just last Sunday, um, Brother Un showed me a, a video of, of you know, one of the, the extremes, the great depths that people will sink to. You know, in, in India, where, where cows are considered sacred, they are bathing themselves in cow dung because they believe the holiness of the cow will protect them from COVID. This, this is where we sink to when we reject Jesus. Now, we don't all sink to that level, but we, every single one of us, when we reject Jesus, become the most pitiable people. We believe the most ridiculous things. We will believe anything as long as it's not Jesus. And that's where these people are. They will believe anything, but not Jesus. So they close their ears and they harden their hearts and they run at him in absolute anger. We will not let you tell us we are sinners and killed Jesus. Stephen knew the truth would hurt. He knew it. He also knew that the truth could set them free. He could see the vast implications of the gospel. He had experienced the implications of the gospel. And so when he could see what the gospel could do, that it could free people, even like this, it filled him with excitement. It filled him with hope. It filled him with boldness. And like Stephen, we need to take those opportunities, even when people will not listen. We need to take the opportunities, no matter when or how they come. And like Stephen, we need to create the opportunities. We need to be on the offensive, sharing the gospel. Speak the truth faithfully. Stop focusing on the opposition and see the great implications of the gospel. The gospel can free. He was man who showed us a faithful witness and faith in God. Stephen fully believed Jesus was savior. He fully believed this was God's plan. Stephen believed that as he stood there in that moment, and these people were angry at him for what he said, he believed this was God's plan. See, Stephen had not just taken God into his head. It wasn't just something he believed because it sounded true or because it was something he could attach himself to. He believed it in his heart. He believed. How does this happen? He was full of the spirit, full of the spirit, full of the spirit. Being full of the spirit shows us that he was pursuing to know Christ. He was maybe, maybe, maybe Paul remembered Stephen when he wrote words like this in Philippians chapter three, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I mean, Paul had enough of his own sufferings to write those. Boldness, the boldness we need to speak for Christ comes by living by faith. Right to the end, we see Stephen praying. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God to the very end. He believed. To the very end, he was praying. Stephen reminds us 
to spend our lives in God's word and in prayer, growing in faith. Faith leads to faithfulness. Genuine faith isn't just mental assent. Genuine faith pursues to apply it to live like Christ. Faith, as we've said before, causes us to act on what we believe. We said that practical faith is seen in three ways, that it gives us strength or resolve. And here we see that in Stephen. Stephen fully believed Jesus. He stood strong. He was resolved until the end. We said true faith gives us courage to stand strong in the face of fear. And here, Stephen, stand strong in the face of fear. We said that faith gives us stability. And here, as he stands in resolved courage, we see God provide peace, comfort, strength in time of need. He was a man who shows us faithful to the end. He also shows us as a man who was powerful to the end. The power of God's promise is seen here. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, when Jesus says, you will receive power. In Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 through 20, Jesus says, all authority is given to me. Go into all the world. Christ has all the authority and all that authority he, he gives to us to do his job and he works in us until the very end. The power of the spirit isn't temporal. It never leaves us. He never leaves us. You're indwelled by the spirit in every moment to the very end. Power from God in every trial. Power to endure every ridicule. Power to endure every hatred. Power to rise above it. Power to speak and to live boldly for Christ. Power to reach people's hearts with the gospel and with the spirit. Power of his promise. Power to stand firm. Your tensions and emotions are high here. But this is, this is not a, a calm moment. This is, this is difficult. The, the, the tension here is, is so, so strong and it breaks in the end and the emotions are running high. The Jews are in absolute uncontrolled anger. They cannot control themselves now. They are so angry. They just run at him. Now, this may be uh, a, an illegal killing. It may be legal. I suspect it probably has legality to it. But there was certainly a few things missing because they just rushed at him and they just, they just did it. They just killed him. But Stephen, in the midst of their uncontrollable anger, Stephen stands calm. Stephen stands in control. Stephen is thinking clearly. You know, sometimes in our witnessing to other people, emotions and tensions are high. A little bit fearful, perhaps, or there's, there's conflict. Witnessing to, to family members is always highly emotional. Perhaps Christ is a point of contention in the discussion, in the debate. Have you ever been in a similar situation? 
maybe the argument is causing anger to, to rise or frustration because we just don't seem to be getting through. Or the answers, just they just don't seem to be listening. Maybe the emotion of the moment is clouding our thoughts. We feel tense, nervous, uncertain. What do we do? Pray. Pray. In perhaps one of the most tense and uncontrollable moments in all of history, Stephen stands there, able to speak clearly the gospel of Christ, calmly, clear-headedly, patiently. He shows us power to stand firm, power to endure. It's becoming clear Stephen knows the end is near. He knows now he's not getting out of this. This is his last moment. But he stands strong to the end because he is enabled to stand strong to the end. He believes God's promises to be with him to the very end. God will give you power to endure. He will give you power to endure. And it doesn't have to be only about death. He will give you power to endure the ridicule. He will give you power to endure the hatred and the rejection of those that you, you love and those that you share the gospel with. He will give you power to endure the heartache that comes. He will give you power to continue believing. He will give you power to endure. Stephen shows us a man that is faithful to the end, a man that is powerful to the end, and a man that is gracious to the end. He has a gracious message. In verse 56, we read and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He has been bold up to this point, speaking of Christ, and he is still boldly speaking of Christ right to the end. He hasn't softened his message as, as he can see the, the anger rise and he can see this is not going to end well. He doesn't back off and say, all right, no, hang on a minute. Maybe we can discuss this. Maybe I was a little bit harsh in saying you were just like your forefathers. Let's, let's talk about Jesus just a little bit more calmly. He's not here now trying to save his life. He continues to speak Jesus, even when it's hard. Why? Why does he continue to boldly proclaim Christ, even when he knows he knows it's going to cost him his life? Because he knows that is exactly what they need to hear. They need to hear this. They need to confront their sin and their pride. They need to see Jesus as the only savior. We don't help people by hiding the truth from them. At some point, they are going to have to confront their sin. They are going to have to see Jesus is the only way. And they are not going to see that when we dance around Jesus. At some point, we're going to have to make people upset, uncomfortable, irritated. Grace seeks people's good even when it hurts. The reason we do it, not because we want people to hurt, 
but because we know the message of the gospel is the only thing that's going to free them from their hurt. It's a gracious message, and he does so with a gracious attitude. He doesn't fight back. They're coming on him, and, and the whole process of stoning is it's terribly gruesome. I mean, we often have pictures of somebody just standing there and people throwing rocks at them. It's, it's much more gruesome than that. I won't describe it for you, but it's not a fun scene. It's, it's horrible. And it's violent. And while they're violently oppressing him, he doesn't fight back. He keeps sharing. He, he, he hasn't softened the message, but he isn't a jerk either. They hit him and push him and berate him. And he shows us Jesus by not fighting back. He shows us a gracious act. The gracious attitude moves to a gracious act. The last thing he does, forgive. Forgive them. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He wants God to work through this to bring them to his forgiveness. Even in his death, he's not fighting for himself. He's fighting for them to know the forgiveness of God. Jesus told us and showed us how to treat our enemies with love. Seek their good in everything that we do, though they seek our harm. Stephen shows us three great things here. Believe Jesus. Be a witness. Be kind. Don't give up on others when they've given up on you. God may be piercing their hearts in ways that you don't understand. Twice in this passage that we've read here, Luke brings up Saul. And he does so because he is preparing us. He's opening our eyes to see that while we see this horrible circumstance and Stephen loses his life here, Luke is trying to show us just a little glimmer that even though the situation is horrible, God is doing something wonderful. He is already at work in Saul's heart, even in this ugly situation. You may, you may not get another chance to witness to that person. This is the last time Stephen has to witness to these people. And maybe you stand and you share the gospel with someone and, and maybe they get angry at you or maybe they don't want to hear you again speak about it. You may never have another opportunity to share the gospel with that person, but that doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean that you haven't been faithful. You do not know what God is doing in the dark. Stephen died and never, ever saw on earth what God did with Saul. You just don't know. Live for Jesus. Live for Jesus and you will live with Jesus. Jesus is in control. Jesus rules. The most vulnerable time, no, God is in control. Stephen did. Stephen knew God was in control. He had just given a sermon where he had showed over and over and over again, God is a deliverer. Stephen 
is continuing the story which he began at the beginning, which was a story of the God of glory. And as he stands there, almost ready to die, he sees a risen Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. The God who had worked in Abraham's life and who had worked in Joseph's life and Moses' life and David's life and Solomon's life that he had shown is still on the throne. Jesus is in control. Stephen believed it. And Jesus sees. We see here as, as we, we look here, it says that uh, in our, our text where he sees Jesus, but he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at his right hand and said, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus sees this isn't a cold picture of God's sovereignty. You're, many people see God's sovereignty this way, that he's cold and distant, and we're just puppets in a play. This isn't a picture of a cold, sovereign God. It shows a compassionate rule. Jesus is watching. Stephen is standing there. He is going to die, and Jesus stands, and he's looking. He is invested in that moment. He is there. He sees what is going on. Jesus doesn't know what we're going through just because he's gone through suffering. Jesus knows what we're going through because he's watching. He sees where we are. He sees what our life looks like right now. He is watching. He sees. He is present in our trials he is personally invested in our lives. He never leaves. And the Jesus who rules and the Jesus who sees is also the Jesus who works. Because he sees and because he rules, he works. Do you remember Stephen's recurring theme through his sermon? God is a deliverer. He has every intention of delivering Stephen just like he delivered Israel and Joseph and Moses. He intends to deliver Stephen. When you are in difficulty, God will deliver. Maybe not as we expect, and certainly not without pain, but God will deliver because Jesus cares. He cares. Jesus comes near. The moment Stephen looks up and he sees into heaven, this is the moment that sends the Jews over the edge. This is the moment where it's just too much for them. In time of need, Jesus sees and he works and he draws near. Do you remember how Stephen began? He said, this is the story of the God of glory. And he tells them the story about the God of glory. Stephen had believed and preached that Jesus was bigger than the temple and bigger than the law. Now, Stephen is not just speaking about the God of glory. Now he sees the God of glory. Now there is no doubt in his mind that Jesus is bigger than the temple, that Jesus is bigger than the law. 
He sees it. Jesus is everything. The God of glory has come to him. And as they stoned him, he prayed. Perhaps, perhaps he was praying something like Psalm 116. Words like this, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surround me and the pangs of shield lay hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Jesus comes near and Jesus stands up. The image here that he sees, this is, I mean, there's, there's so many passages in scripture which just move you, but this has got to be one of the most moving passages in all of scripture that Stephen sees. When he looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus there, because usually when the, the New Testament particularly speaks about where Jesus is, it shows him as sitting at the right hand of the father. And that is a place, a position of authority and rule. And it says, you know, in places, you know, like in Psalm 110, it speaks of him sitting at the right hand. And Ephesians chapter one, it speaks of him sitting at the right hand. But here, he is not sitting. Here, Stephen looks up and Jesus is not sitting at the right hand of the father watching. He is standing. Perhaps he's standing to greet the first martyr. More probable, he stands in testimony. He stands in witness. Jesus stands there at the right hand of the Father to say, he is mine. He stands to defend, to protect, to call home. Jesus told us in Luke 12, verse 8, also I say to you, whoever confesses me before him, him, the son of man, also will confess before the angels of God. That is what we see him. He stands confessing to everyone around him. Stephen is mine. God knows his own. He loves and he cares for them. And here Stephen sees the full acceptance of God. Psalm 116, where I read just a moment ago, verse 15 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He stands and he calls Stephen home. Jesus opens the way. What made them so mad is preaching Jesus is the way. And Acts 4, verse 12, which says the same thing, still angers today. But why does Stephen stand there? And why can Stephen see this vision in heaven? Why does he have so much confidence and so much comfort in this moment of trial? Because Jesus opened the way to God and opened the way to life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Because of Jesus, no matter what you endure in this life, he will welcome you in. 
Trials and death are daunting, especially without Jesus. But with Jesus, there is no need for fear, but joy. Proverbs 14, verse 32 says, the wicked is banished in his wickedness, but the righteous has a refuge in death. Jesus calls you home. I began this morning by saying to live a life worth living, you need something worth dying for. Jesus is worth dying for. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Stephen lived like that. To live was Christ and to die was gain and he could see it was gain. That vision was his faith becoming sight. Do you have eternity in your heart like Stephen? Is your mind fixed on things above? On what is eternal? If we believe he is worth dying for, then living for him is easy. If we truly believe Jesus is worth dying for, the living for Jesus is easy, no matter what it brings. Jesus will welcome you home. Stephen knew when he left this world, he would be received by his Savior. Do you know this? Are you sure you know this, that at your death, Jesus is going to welcome you into heaven? The angels ushered him into the arms of Jesus. You know, it's not like the cartoons and it's not like people think there is no pearly gates with Steve, with Peter standing at the gate and you have to answer a question through Peter to, to let you in. There's none of that. The angels usher you from here right to the place of Jesus. To live is Christ. To die is Christ. Jesus is life. Is there no better phrase ever written than how the Bible describes the death of believers? He fell asleep. He fell asleep. Death is not a thing. Sleep. It's a wonderful description of the death of the believer. We don't say goodbye. We say goodnight. Why? Because Jesus is life. He is life. And I give to them eternal life, Jesus says, and they shall never perish. Jesus makes this life worth living. He makes eternal life a reality. We sing the song in Christ alone. And the last verse goes like this. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Without Jesus, this life makes no sense. And life to come is judgment. Unshakable faith. In an uncontainable God gives unquenchable life. Jesus is worth giving your life for. Every part of it. If you believe Jesus and you're just waiting for the next life, 
you're wasting this one. Live for him. If you know that you will live with Jesus, then you need to live for Jesus now. If we're willing to die for him, the living for him is easy. When we live for Jesus, we will suffer for Jesus. And when we suffer for Jesus, he is near. Are you certain that when you die, Jesus will receive you into heaven? You can be certain. Jesus is the only way. He came to set us free from bondage, the bondage of sin, the bondage of death, and to give us eternal life. Don't be hard-hearted like the Jews and close your ears saying, I don't want to listen. I already believe what I believe, and, 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 and I, I go to church or I, I do these things. It doesn't matter. I have what I have. Don't be hard-hearted. Hear the invitation of Jesus. Believe that he came to die for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again so that you could have life, and you will find him worth living for. And you will find him worth dying for. An unshakable faith in an uncontainable God gives unquenchable life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Stephen. Oh, he fills our hearts with such, such encouragement, such excitement. It is truly a tragic moment in history, but one filled with such joy, such power. Dear God, we want to live like Stephen. We want our lives to be a testimony of you from, from, from the moment it begins to the moment it ends. Give us courage and strength to live for you. And we thank you that you are near, that you are invested, that you are watching, protecting, and delivering. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.